This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. For a limited time, visit casper.com slash savings and get up to $225 off your order. This special offer expires July 9th. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 316 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing season two of the HBO series Westworld. And this will involve spoilers for every episode of season two, so just be aware of that. And if you missed it, you should also go check out our review of the first four episodes of Season 1, back in Episode 223. And I'm joined by three guests. So, first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. And he also oversees John Joseph Adams' books, an imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. The latest book he edited, The Robots of Gotham by Todd McCulty, about machine intelligences trying to take over the world, is out now. So, John, welcome back. Always good to be here. Is this now? Are we at the beginning? <laughs> then next up, we've got Sarah Lynn Mishner making her sixth appearance on the show. She's a Ravenclaw Trekkie maker feminist who writes at Medium and crafts laser-cut jewelry and soap with swear words inside. She lives <laughs> in Northern California with a Renaissance engineer, a dog, and a bird. So, Sarah, welcome to the show. Always happy to be here. And also joining us today is Anthony Ha, making his seventh appearance on the show. He covers media, advertising, and pop culture for the news site TechCrunch, where he also hosts the podcast Original Content. A chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by Youth in Decline in 2014, and he has a story forthcoming in Lady Churchill's Rosebud Rislet. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And today's show is brought to you by Casper. If you need a new mattress, just head on over to casper.com slash savings and order today. The mattress industry is famous for forcing consumers to pay high markups, but Casper cuts out the cost of resellers and showrooms and passes that savings directly on to the consumer. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Your Casper mattress will be shipped to you in a small box, and all you have to do is open up the box and watch as the mattress naturally expands to its full size. Are your dreams haunted by visions of lab coats, operating tables, and the leering face of Anthony Hopkins? Do you lie awake at night paralyzed by the existential dread that everything you know and love is nothing but a flimsy sheet drawn over a dark and sinister reality? Well, a Casper mattress is so comfortable that you'll sleep right through the nightly sessions in which your robot body is tweaked and prodded by unfamiliar hands. So just head on over to casper.com slash savings and order today. You have 100 days to try out the mattress, and if you decide not to keep it, Casper will give you a full refund. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to take advantage of Casper's competitive, limited-time 4th of July offer and save up to $225 off your order by visiting casper.com slash savings. This offer expires July 9th. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Okay, and so the last time we talked to John was back in episode 300. So before we get to the panel, I just want to catch up with John real quickly. Because, John, when I last talked to you, you had just launched a Patreon campaign. So I was just curious, how, how's that been going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we simultaneously launched a Patreon and a Drip, which Drip is uh, Kickstarter's version of Patreon, basically. Um, and between the two of them, we've got about, um, about $170, uh, coming in every month. So, you know, still, uh, still, uh, in the early stages there building that, that, uh, follow, following there, but, uh, it's going along pretty good. Um, 
you know, especially since I'm, I have the, I have the Patreon structured basically to, to not really give any, um, rewards out to people because I'm already providing, you know, all of the content in Lightspeed and Nightmare Online for free. And so I'm just trying to, uh, set up, a, make it, make it set up so that, um, you know, people who do, uh, consume the content online for free could, uh, you know, chip in a little bit if they feel like they, uh, they want to. Um, so yeah, it's, so it's been going uh, well so far. Uh, the biggest challenge I think is finding out how to artfully mention it all the time without it, you know, beating people over the head with it. Um, and uh, so, but otherwise, I, I can't complain. It's uh, I, I've been happy with the results so far. Well, I don't know if you noticed how skillfully I just wove it into the conversation <laughs> here. Like nobody's even gonna <laughs> notice. Yeah, no, no, that was super smooth. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, and just let me say again. I mean, John has done more for as I've said, more for fantasy and science fiction and more for new authors and, and, and so on than just about anyone. And if you're a fan of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, there would absolutely 100% never have been a Geek's Guide to the Galaxy without John. So definitely show him some love. How, how do people, John, how do they find your uh, your Patreon and your drip? Right, yeah. So just go to uh, patreon.com slash John Joseph Adams or uh, drip, it's d d dot r-i-p slash John Joe's Fathoms, I believe. Um, well, that one has hyphens in it, but um, if you go to my website, you'll see it. Um, but yeah, so you, you go to those uh, places, and then you you know you can sign up, and you can pledge a dollar a month, or two dollars, or up to five dollars a month, or Patreon actually lets you pledge as much as you want. Uh, so if you want to go crazy and you know <laughs> pledge all sorts of big amounts, then you're welcome to. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's going to want to pledge at least five dollars a month, so just yeah, yeah. To Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I mentioned in the intro there that you have this new book you edited, The Robots of Gotham by Todd McCulty. You want to just tell us about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's takes place in like 2083 and it's a uh, uh, future, like a, um, sort of a dystopian future where uh, machine intelligence is uh, sort of both robots and uh, just sort of AI types um, have taken over a large portion of the world and the United States is kind of fractured. It's uh, partially occupied by this one uh, coalition or cabal. And, um, you know, some governments are still run by people and some are, um, entirely run by machines. Some of them, some of the machines took the countries by, uh, like as dictators and some of them, um, just like won elections. Uh, and so, um, it's, it's, uh, it's like a really action packed, um, like thriller type story with, uh, with the protagonist, um, you know, trying to, uh, find out, uh, the roots of this, uh, is sort of nefarious conspiracy that he stumbles upon, um, which, you know, involves all sorts of, uh, uh, vile things that might be done, uh, to humanity by, uh, the machine intelligences. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, really, uh, really, really action packed thing. Uh, like, uh, probably the most action packed thing I've ever published, I, I would, I would say. It's, uh, yeah. And it seems like it's getting a lot of good buzz. Didn't it get a, a starred review in Publishers Weekly or something like that? Uh, yeah, I got a star review in Publishers Weekly and uh, Booklist. Um, and then uh, it had a very nice review from Library Journal. Probably could have also been a star, but they didn't give us one. So, um, but can't complain. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about that one. I feel like it has a good shot to, to really take off. Um, but we'll see. But it's uh, very apropos to this panel. I, I think if you enjoy um, robots taking over stuff uh, and or uh, throwing off uh, the shackles of their masters, uh, um as you might if you enjoy Westworld, then uh, maybe check out Robots of Gotham. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's The Robots of Gotham by Todd McCulty. 
Um, okay, and so, John, last time we talked about Westworld, the, we had gotten this screener with the first four episodes. So we talked about mm-hmm. just the first four episodes. So I was just curious, before we even get into season two, just what did you think of the rest of season one? What did you think of all that and the finale and everything? Right. Uh, I really love season one. Like, um, I mean, it's, it was one of those things where, uh, I, I mean, I love the show in general. I'm also very frustrated with it frequently because it's very difficult, uh, to just, you know, keep track of everything. And then, of course, with season one, um, there's the big twist at the end that you realize, like, oh, there's timelines. And I mean, I don't know if you were supposed to pick that up, picked up on that, like, right away, but I didn't. Um, and, I really appreciated it going back and rewatching the first season before we watched the second season. Um, just knowing that there is this sort of multiple timelines thing going on and then to like watch it with that in mind. Although even just knowing that there's a multiple timelines, I still had to look up hmm. a cheat sheet online to be like, wait, what are they now? What, what, where, where, you know, what are the different ones? And so I could keep an eye out for them. I kind of wish that there was some kind of visual clue or, or maybe a musical cue that you could, um, you know, sort of follow along with, like, oh, okay, now, you know, like, in retrospect, I realize, like, oh, that's the key, that's that's what tells me that I'm on this timeline or that timeline, you know, um, but, uh, I mean, it was definitely very complicated to, to try to pull off, but I appreciated it, uh, especially, like, once you get to the end and you realize, like, oh, it's because, like, the the um, the hosts, like, you know, they, they're reliving these, like, lives over and over, and so, like, it, it kind of makes sense in the in the way that the that the watching the show is disjointed in time. Um, because of the way their, their, their sort of, uh, lives are so fragmented like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's definitely intentional that you don't realize that Ed Harris's character, the man in black is the same mm-hmm. person as the young right. William. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't pick up on that until the end or close to the end. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a big twist toward the end where you find out that Bernard is a, a host. Right. Um, right. But um, how about um, Sarah? What did you think? Just overall impressions of season one of the show? Um, I loved it. I mean, you can definitely see the influence of, um, you know, the the guy who made Memento. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jonathan Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I, uh, I think it's great. I absolutely love it. How about Anthony? Overall impressions? Season one? Um, I remember really loving the pilot and just thinking it was pretty close to a perfect pilot, um, just because I loved the disorientation and the darkness of it and the ending with that note of Dolores, you know, killing the fly on her neck. Um, I thought like all of that was pretty perfect. And then I kind of, I didn't like dislike what followed, but I think my enthusiasm diminished pretty considerably because it really felt like the world building was kind of shaky. Mm. And that, like, sort of in terms of how the the hosts operated was was sort of arbitrary and determined by the needs of individual episodes. So I didn't necessarily dislike it, but I think I didn't love it as much as I was expecting to. Um, I definitely liked the the ending and sort of ending with this, you know, robot rebellion, I thought, mm-hmm. like, kind of really reignited my interest. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, I uh, I liked the... The premiere and I loved the finale. And in between, I had a lot of issues with, like you said, the like, how do the guns work particularly? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes where the robots, robot characters are talking to other robot characters just feels sort of like the story is just spinning its wheels to me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's funny because like for a show that I like this much, 
I have so many qualifiers. And like, there's so <laughs> many, I mean, it was like, honestly, like, I, I mean, on the one hand, it's like really fun to talk about. Like, I, I don't feel like, I, I feel like there hasn't been a show that I enjoyed, like, just having conversations with my wife about, like, in, like, deep, detailed discussions about, like, theories and like what's going on and all that kind of stuff like haven't had anything like that since like Battlestar Galactica where I'm just like so like oh my god like what what are the implications of this and this and this you know um but there are so many qualifiers like you know like yeah like that really bugs me how do the guns work I still don't know how the guns work like it doesn't make any sense what about the safety protocols and I mean the whole second season could also be like doubling down on <laughs> guys safety protocols what are you doing you know see that has uh... never bothered me <laughs> I just accept that it works and have like I mean I have maybe probably as I've been watching it going oh, I wonder you know how that works but it never has actively bothered me <laughs> well yeah just let's let's set this up so the the premise of the show is that there's this a uh, theme park where people where very rich people can pay a lot of money to go and live out their cowboy fantasies uh shooting and having sex with robots uh who are kind of reconstructed every night or I don't know periodically in underground laboratories and the season 1 climaxes with the guy who's run this park uh having himself shot by a robot live on stage uh, and sort of having programmed the all the safety systems such as they are, as John was saying, uh, to go down. <laughs> and so the robots kind of run amok massacring the guests. And it's just open warfare between the, the park staff and, and to the robots. Um, and so, yeah, so then, then we launch into season two. And so, uh, how about Sarah? What did you, what did you think of season two? Or the, for the, what were your initial impressions of season two? Uh, very confusing, but I mean, I'm very like, I'm very trusting despite, you know, the, you know, I mean, I think probably the second episode came out and somebody was already like, oh my God, Westworld is turning into Lost. And, <laughs> and like, I, I, I tend to be very trusting, uh, with showrunners and I tend to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, um, and assume that they know what they're doing, which is, you know, fairly naive, <laughs> but it allows me to enjoy the, uh, the show and it allows me to think about it in terms of, you know, just the, with the assumption that I'm the one that doesn't understand. Um, and that gives me the tools, I think, to, uh, start to read into what's going on a little bit and really think about where are they going in a more freeing way than worrying about, well, what if the showrunners are just, you know, pulling a fast one on us or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as watching, as I was watching, I thought, geez, you know, especially because we now already know that there's, they're jumping around to different timelines. Would it kill them to put up a little subtitle, you know, at the bottom that says, you know, now we're in 1918 and, you know, now we're in, <laughs> in, in this time period or their own internal system somehow just to kind of guide the viewer. And I think that especially when you look at how the ratings have fallen a little bit. Um, you know, help people out. Like, you know, you, if you're going to appeal to only the most intellectually committed, uh, uh, audiences, you're going to have problems like that. So I'm hoping, you know, and, and I really do have a lot of faith in the showrunners that they do have a master plan. Um, but I do think that they could have done a little bit just to help us along a little bit. Yeah. So just to set that up. So in season two, there are two different timelines. And in one of the timelines, um, Bernard is escaping from the chaos of this, uh, you know, gala celebration gone wrong. 
and um in the other he wakes up on a beach and sees all these dead bot all these dead robot bodies floating in the water and so we we get the idea that um you know the first you know all, all the stuff happening in the past is going to s- explain how all these robot bodies ended up in the water uh and then we're also seeing the other storyline is is tracking what happens a- after that uh or, or i mean that's that w- that's what you should be getting anyway uh <laughs> i mean i i kind of was just watching this and uh i i don't know that i ever really put that together too clearly yeah. in my head uh and i totally agree with you sarah that uh i think they should have had i mean my i think it should have been something like when um he wakes up on the beach he has like one of his eyes has been shot out or something and, uh-huh. he, and he puts on an eye patch and then he has an eye patch in that storyline. And so you know that that's right. the one that happens <laughs> afterward or just something like yeah. that. <laughs> well, like even Memento, you know, Memento um, uh, has multiple timelines, but like the, they, they use the black and white to differentiate between like, I mean, don't necessarily do that here, but I mean, do something. Um, I actually thought um, that, uh, that I thought that there was going to be a subtle clue with Dolores, uh, when we see Dolores, uh, shot and dead. And we can see, like, we can see very clearly on her, um, her bullet belt, her bullet bandolier or whatever, uh, we can see how many bullets she has there. And I thought there was going to be some kind of clue, uh, about a big twist or reveal that was going to happen with the number of those bullets. Like, if you were paying attention, but it didn't seem to, to be anything like that. Because uh, we because we saw her, um, you know, we saw her dead from Bernard's future point of view. But then we were also seeing them go to that same uh, location at the end together, like her and Bernard together, um, while they were both still alive. Um, and I, so I thought that was going to play into it somehow, but then it didn't. Uh, I mean, there's obviously another big twist that, right at the end. Um, again, damn you, Westworld, make me want to watch the whole season all over again just so <laughs> I can understand it. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I totally get what Sarah's saying, like. I, and I'm, I agree. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, largely in the same boat where, like, I do want to believe because, um, they're, they're grappling with such interesting concepts. Um, and, but I do feel like I'm maybe not smart enough to watch this show. Uh, it makes me feel that way. And, like, I don't particularly like that feeling, but I'm going to keep trying because this one has enough in it that I'm like, I, enough that I can at least grab hold on to. Uh, and like, feel like I'm not gonna fall off the cliff. Whereas, like, other shows, like, uh, like, I, I tried to watch Legion, and I just, like, I was like, it was like the walls were just slippery. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp onto anything. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and I, I saw, I saw an article that the, the headline was something like, we're at peak, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> um, it's like talking about Westworld and, and Legion, um, specifically. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that, that yeah, it, it is very frustrating that it's so hard to to just follow it. But um, I got to give him credit for just like really swinging for the fences and and just trying to tell this is such a complicated, complicated story. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Nabokov has a quote that I'm probably going to, um, you know, horribly misremember and mangle here, but uh, something along the lines of "There's no such thing as a good reader; there is only a good rereader." Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, so this idea yeah. of you know, being a good rewatcher and being mm-hmm. dedicated enough to, you know, watch with the watch it the first time, watch it the second time, however many times it takes, and not not necessarily feel like it's a, you know, a, a stain on your intelligence or anything, but that mm-hmm. actually good science fiction ought to be reread multiple times and rewatched. Well, I mean, in general, I like stories that make me work for it and that I I'm I want to go back and rewatch or reread or whatever so I can get everything. But I feel mm-hmm. like with season two, I felt like a lot of this was so boring that mm-hmm. I don't 
feel particularly motivated to go back and put everything together with my the knowledge I gained from watching it once. But how about let's get Anthony in here. Uh, Anthony, are we just stupid, or uh, <laughs> did you uh, what, did you think this show? No, was I, that, I I agree that it was confusing. And, and when we're talking about the timelines, um, I think that that it's true that they're basically two main timelines. Um, but the, what that's also sort of overlooking is like. There are flashbacks and we learn later flash forwards within those timelines too. So it's not just the same as like tracking these like two parallel paths. Um, and, and I think that also ties to your point about, you know, some of the plots kind of spinning their wheels where it, it felt a bit like particularly the, um, the timeline that's sort of more further advanced and taking place after this flood. Um, there really was not a lot of plot there. And so I kind of didn't understand why just from both like a narrative economy and clarity perspective, they didn't treat it just as a frame story that you see in the first and last episodes. But the fact that you would sort of flash back to that every episode or two and just have Bernard kind of standing there looking disoriented, <laughs> kind of furrowing his brow and everyone being like, why don't you remember anything? Um, it, it kind of did get old for a while while also, mm-hmm. like, I think, contributing to the confusion. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the my main problem with season two is I think that this would have been an excellent six-episode season. Uh-huh. Uh, but I feel like they they knew that the, the end of the season had to be, um, you know, somebody escapes from the park, one of the robots escapes from the park. Uh, or one or more robots escape from the park, and that they knew it was going to be a 10-episode season. And mm-hmm. they put a lot of filler in this mm-hmm. to stretch it out to 10 episodes, in my opinion. Well, and the individual episodes are usually too long as well, where they, mm-hmm. I mean, most of them are like, you know, over an hour, which, to be fair, like when you're trying to binge a show in advance of recording a podcast, I think you're a little bit more sensitive to length. <laughs> but like, it felt like a lot of times the episode would have this climactic scene and you think, all right, that's it. And then you'd look and you'd realize there are like 10 more minutes. <laughs> and it wasn't like a big, like, I think Game of Thrones sometimes does a good job with, you'll have a, a, a sort of traditional final scene, cut to black for a few seconds, and then a little like cliffhanger tag. But this would just be like three or four more scenes that just kind of went on. And you're like, why is this happening? It, it felt like, like they really were not interested in the structure of like individual episodes as episodes. Uh, yeah, so Dave, I was gonna, I was gonna jump in and agree with you, uh, about the, the length. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, on the one hand, I, I agree. On the other hand, it's like, I feel like if they were gonna truncate it, it might be at the expense of, like, the, uh, maybe what I felt like were the two best episodes, which is the one where they go to Shogun World, and then the one with the, uh, with the Native American, uh, guy exploring, uh, his whole world. Like, I thought those were both great, but they were just, like, they were sort of standalone episodes, that didn't really do much to further the plot. Um, I mean, the Shogun World one does a little bit more because they're, you know, they're escaping. They're still in the in the, in the uh, middle of escaping at that point. But um, you know, as much as I like a lot of the elements in season two, I almost kind of wish that uh, season one was just the end, and like not that it got canceled, but just that that was their plan to make a one season show, like like uh, like you guys were talking about on the uh, the terror episode. You know, where it's like, okay, well, that's just telling that one story over the course of a season. It almost felt like it would have been perfect just to leave season one as it was with all the implications that were spilled at the end of that season, right? Like, I, I could have looked back on that for, for many years and just, like, hold it up as this glowing example of how to do television right, um, as, as confusing as it was. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, and I mean, 
So I'm, I'm kind of torn about it. Um, but I can't deny that, yeah, it's like, it feels like season two definitely could have been tighter if they had truncated it. So, um, I, I love I'm, all the filler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love all the filler. And I think part of the reason for that is that, you know, it, it is a slow show, which to me is an advantage. Like I, I, and I think it highlights that the cast is absolutely marvelous. Like every single actor has, um, you know, I would watch Anthony Hopkins watch grass grow. And, mm-hmm. and like you, you have a lot of scenes where they have a long, you know, a sort of long looks and, uh, really subtle exchanges and all of the stuff that makes a show feel like it is meatier than whatever the overall story is. It's, you know, it's the, the context and the, the character building and, and all of that good stuff. And, you know, just little moments in this season, like when, um, uh, when Teddy commits suicide and you could mm-hmm. tell, that, you know, Dolores and, you know, it, to, to Evan Rachel Wood's credit, like she, she captured that it would literally never occur to her to commit suicide. And, and that look of absolute, like ro- the robot breaking down in shock on her face was just so wonderfully executed. Um, you know, she just completely captured that. And I think that, you know, all of those little moments of subtlety, uh, to me, none of it felt like filler. Well, that part wasn't filler for sure. No, that yeah, part no. was that part was awesome. I, I loved the whole thing with yeah. So what happens is that Teddy is basically this pretty nice guy, and Dolores is becoming more and more ruthless, and he uh, spares some prisoners' lives, and she decides that he's just not cut out for the for the level of ruthlessness that their mission is going to require, and has him reprogrammed to sort of crank up all his aggression and ruthlessness and so on and he doesn't like the person that he's become or the robot that he's become and offs himself and all that stuff was great but i thought like for the most part the the stuff between teddy and dolores throughout this season particularly the the romance kind of stuff just put me to sleep um Mm. i don't know how about uh anthony what do you what do you think about that um yeah i i didn't mind it i i think like I'm trying to think what it was. I mean, I agree though that like it, it, when we talk about filler, it's always kind of um complicated because I think, you know, if we if we went around to each of us, we'd probably have slightly different ideas about like what could have been cut and what was interesting, what was not. The romance stuff I I thought wasn't great. It wasn't my favorite part of the show. And and I mean, I think one of the challenges of it was the fact that the Dolores that we see in season 2 is so different from the Dolores, I mean, that she's, you know, there, there's been this sort of defining event at the end of season one. And, and as I think the, the, the terminology they use in the show is that she's awake now. Um, mm. and, and so she's so different from the Dolores we know. So it's very difficult to kind of, it, I mean, that, I think it also speaks to my, a broader challenge I had of like just trying to connect with, uh, with Dolores, um, in general. But, but I didn't mind the, I, I, especially the fact that it led to the, um, you know, that, that scene, like you were saying, both the reprogramming scene and the suicide scene, I think, are just really amazing. Could someone explain to me? So she's somehow Dolores and Wyatt. Can someone just explain to me what was going on with that? Mm. I think no. they just gave My- her an identity that, you know, she felt like reclaiming, uh, you know, or coming up with her own identity in the terms of having her own name. I mean, she knows that everything was scripted for her. And so to identify as a specific, um, 
you know, as a specific character that she came up with rather than this Dolores character, um, I think is significant. And I also think that, you know, the, the thing that makes the romance between Dolores and, uh, and Teddy significant was the fact that Teddy was written. We, we were literally told this in season two. The character of Teddy was written to be, or I think we were even told that in season one. Uh, he was written to be the guy who interferes but never gets the girl. You know, he was written to be the guy who tries to, you know, provide the challenge to the man in black or the rapist or the, the guest who wants to get with Dolores or whatever to provide that extra level of difficulty, you know, in the video game before you get the girl. And so I think that the significance of the, of the romance was that, you know, they, they kind of brought that together on their own terms and uh, suddenly he wasn't that guy and he was valuable to Dolores. Um, so to me, that that part mattered. So you know, one one interesting thing about Teddy that they, uh, they that they didn't go in this direction. Um, but so in um, initially, I remember wondering as we were watching uh, the first several episodes of just season one, uh, I was wondering like, okay, well, who's going to be the um, the Yul Brenner analog in this version of Westworld? And um, I initially, I was thinking like, oh, like it seems like kind of they they made um, Ed Harris kind of that, even though he was seemed to you know it. it at first, it wasn't clear if he was a person or or a host, but uh, as, even after he became a, became clear it was a, he was a person, it was like, well, maybe they're kind of just putting him in that kind of role and make it a person instead of a instead of a robot. Uh, but then, as this season was going on, I was like, oh, wait a minute, like Teddy is kind of the perfect Yul Brenner uh, analog. Mm. And if I was kind of expecting him at some point in the season to end up with his head shaved and just like to walk out like Yul Brenner does in the original movie, like that could have been totally badass. Because I mean, once, once they program him, once she programs him to be like totally vicious, like it totally would have worked. And it's like, he even has kind of a, a resemblance um, if you shave his head, you know? Um, John and I so... are partial to men with shaved heads. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, Yul Brenner, he paved a lot of way for guys like us. You know, him and Patrick Stork, they they set the standard. Um, I want to pick up though on um the oh, the the Shogun World thing because I was mm. I was really psyched when the the first samurai or whatever runs out of the woods at the end of episode three uh-huh. whatever, or three whatever it was. Um, but then I I was not too into the the Shogun World. It did it did feel oh. I mean it felt like superfluous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but John, yeah, it was. It was yeah, you, you you liked it. You said though, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I can't disagree uh, that it that it, it's one of those things that could have been cut. Uh, but I just really enjoyed the episode. So, um, although I did see someone bring up the point where it's like, well, why are the characters actually speaking Japanese? Because the park is intended for you know people who speak English. Clearly, I mean, all the other all the other parks, everyone speaks English, um, and so it's like, well. The guests aren't going to be able to understand what they're saying, though. I mean, most of them, you would think. So, you you think that the and and they're robots, so you think that they that the robots could actually speak to the guests in whatever language they need to be spoken to. And so, it just kind of it did it did it was an interesting point that it's like, well, that's not a very good um you know user interface uh, sort of option to have them speaking in a language that the guest doesn't understand. Um, you know, especially the shogun, since maybe the shogun yeah. world is for is for rich Japanese people. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I mean, you think that they want to get all the rich people from all over the place. And and since robots should be able to be programmed with multiple languages, no problem. You think like, oh, okay, well, they'd be able to detect like, well, what language is that person speaking? And then 
respond in that language. I, I got to uh, say, John, that's not standing out as one of my bigger plausibility issues. Well, <laughs> I mean, admittedly, hey, and it wasn't, it, it didn't, I didn't even notice it, to be honest. It was only somebody uh, mentioned it that I saw online. But uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. As far as the plausibility goes, it's pretty low on the on the on the radar there uh, in terms of things that would uh, need to be addressed in order to actually be totally believable. See, Anthony, what did you think of Shogun World? I liked it overall, and it's definitely one of those things where, on a macro level, I can sort of see problems with it. And and I will admit that I'm a little disappointed that I was hoping that um, I think I think one of the things that Westworld has sort of done intermittently is sort of interrogate the question of like why are we why are these the stories that we want to tell? And so by having particularly the writer go to Shogun World and go to this world which is presumably about this sort of these West Western ideas about what Japan is like, I thought there could be like more kind of subverting of that or 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 making that kind of the topic. And instead it was just kind of like, oh, I guess we kind of did the same stories in Shogun World. But the I thought the acting um and and the action, particularly that final sword fight, they were all so good that like I can't object mm-hmm. to it too much. Um I guess it's also the thing where in a TV show if you've got a guest actor who's in a big fight, like suddenly the stakes are much higher because you realize, oh, like I actually don't know how this is going to end, and and so um, I I really liked all of it, even if I could, you know, if I sort of on a larger level didn't necessarily think it it contributed that much. I will also say that since we talked, we were talking about the gun thing, which definitely drives me crazy, even though I I can't tell you exactly why that's the one thing that gets me so much. But the with Shogun World, then you also wonder, like, okay, do they have safeties on the swords here too? Like, what <laughs> right. what is going on with this? Exactly. Safety protocols, man. It's ridiculous. Well, none, of, none of it makes sense. Well, so in one of these episodes, they actually referred to sim bullets, which was the first indication of, at all about how this might work, which sort of gave me the idea that maybe all the bullets have little like incendiary things in them that cause them mm-hmm. to self-destruct if they are aimed at a, you know, if they're flying in the direction of a guest. Um, but that still doesn't... You know, I mean, like, for example, in the, the part in the uh, the Raj thing, like, they, uh-huh. they just hold the gun right against someone's chest. Uh, mm-hmm. And, like, I don't see how that how the bullet's not going to kill you from that range, even right. if it is sort of programmed to self-destruct. Well, yeah, and William actually gets shot by a gun in, in like, the first season at some point very early on. Maybe it was the first episode. Um, and he gets knocked down and he, and he gets and he is hurt. He was hurt. Like, you could like. You know, I think there was even like a, a sort of mark on his shoulder where the bullet had hit him. And so it's like it doesn't it, – it's shown to not like do nothing. It's just that it makes it a non-lethal uh, wound that doesn't like hurt terribly much. It's like, it's like yeah, it hurt. But it's like – I mean, I don't know how much it hurt. They didn't give any scale for it. But, uh, you know, so it's like, yeah, like I, I, that didn't help explain to me how it works. It just doesn't make any sense Yeah, to me. And, and Anthony's saying why is he fixated on this? But it's like – 80% of this show is people shooting each other. So, right, like, right. you know, it's kind of important to know what they're shooting each other with. I it's in the gun, not in the bullets. Because if it's in the gun, then you can have a gun that has paintball, paint, paintball bullets in it, and you can have a gun that has real bullets in it. And the gun determines, all right, who am I being, you know, who am I aiming at, and decides which bullet to release based on that. Well, what about the arrows? There's people <laughs> who fire all sorts of arrows in Shogun World. Same thing. It's in the bow. Well, how, that doesn't work. 
I mean, we're talking that, about technology that's so advanced that they have the <laughs> ability to, you know, hide brain reading technology inside of the cowboy hats. And yeah, so yeah, I, I, I really, you know, it, 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 my plausibility meter goes down based on how super advanced the technology in general is supposed to be. Well, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, like, I understand, like, uh, it's like, we got to make a lot of allowances to let this work, but, and I, and I was willing to run with it, but if we're talking about it, I'm like, how, what, what is the rationale? Like, what do they think? Like, what, I mean, the creators must have some idea how these guns work. Could someone tell us? Like, I want to know what they think, how they work, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so... Well, and I think also to one of the points that Sarah was making earlier about, like, you know, kind of being able to go with, um, you know, that there's certain shows that you, where you don't worry about the logistics and you focus on tone and character and theme. And I feel like, and I think there are, like, great, like, my, my, probably my favorite shows of all time are The Leftovers and Twin Peaks, which are shows that I'm 100% able to do that with, but probably because you go in and you're like, none of this is going to make sense on, like, a sort of a traditional storytelling level. Or, like, it's not certainly at least not going to be explained on a storytelling level. Just roll with it. Westworld is a show where it's both very confusing, and yet there's a lot of exposition that just doesn't really seem to clarify anything, but they just sort of start talking about things like the cradle and the forge and, like, the, you know, brain readers and the cowboy hats. And so once you start going down that road, then you start asking these questions of, like, why? How does that connect to this like that th I'm, this doesn't really make a lot of sense to me well and the yeah. show is explicitly presented to the audience as a puzzle for you to figure out so right. you know it just seems weird to, to 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 be like okay here's a puzzle for you to figure out but don't think about the details too much it's not important you know those things don't yeah. really go together right you know and and the, so one of the funny things like piggybacking on what anthony was saying it's like so for a show that's this confusing it's kind of uh Astonishing, especially in this last episode, how much, like, just unartful info dumping there was. Like, there was just so many people just, like, s explaining this thing or that thing. And, and, like, you know, it's like, it kind of felt a bit rushed in that sense, this last episode. Because it's like, oh, we got a whole bunch of shit to tie up and try to make all this make sense. So, because we're not going to be back for another year, you know. Um, that, it just, like, it kind of jumped out to me as, like, oh, well, that that's someone just blurting out what's happening instead of uh, making it seem like a natural conversation. Um, which, you know, again, I'm... You know, I'm 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 happy to go along with such things now and then, but just it felt like uh, in that last episode, it really uh, they really uh, dialed it up on that, um, and and yet, yeah, like Anthony was saying, it's like it didn't really help though, because like still confusing. Uh, Let me pick up John on. Um, I guess Sarah was saying that she was afraid this was going to turn into Lost, and if you go back and listen yeah. to our previous Westworld conversation, that was definitely my number one concern with this show. <laughs> it was just going to start throwing out mysteries that would never. That the, the creators of the show had no idea what the solutions to those mysteries were. And I was right. actually pretty uh, impressed because, I, I mean, I, I was really afraid that this was going to turn into five seasons of they're trying to find the center of the maze and then it was going to be like, fuck, we don't know what the center of the maze is. <laughs> right. um, and I thought it, I was actually really impressed that it, it it kind of answered that, but it, it, it sort of wrapped that up more or less in the first season. And it, it wasn't it just just didn't go on and on and on and on with people looking for the center of the maze. Mm -hmm. uh, and and never having any explanation for what that was. Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of get the like the forge and the like valley beyond or whatever. But then actually, I I don't know. I I was more or less satisfied with what those turned out to be. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, so one thing that happens in season two is that we get the, re- you know, we get this reveal that they're, you know, they're scanning all of the, uh, the, all the guests, uh, brain patterns and stuff. And, and that was and, great. And, yeah. And, and the park is basically this way of, uh, it's like Google you know, or Facebook. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, but the purpose of the park is basically to, um, to, 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 to try out like a life extension technology, you know, like they want to be able to make the host and then they want to be able to transfer your consciousness into the host. And, uh, as you know, Dave, uh, from my favorite episode of Geek's Guide number 19, where we debated, uh, uh, intently the, the, the science of consciousness transference. Um, it's an issue that I'm very excited about, um, whenever it's, uh, portrayed in, uh, fiction. Although this, this does, uh, do it in such a way that I'm like, that's not gonna help. That's just gonna be a copy of that guy. You know, it's still <laughs> just a copy of the guy. It's not, he's not gonna live forever. Just a copy of him's gonna live forever. It's still that same thing. But I, I, I just love that. I love that, um, trope. And, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job with it here. And, and I, I can appreciate the, um, I love the whole fidelity thing, like testing for fidelity. When when uh, you know when young William is testing his father, um, father and all that, and then what's that? His father. Oh, father in law. Yeah, father in law. Right. Yeah, I, that that whole sequence with James Delos was probably my favorite part of this season. Uh, I, I really I agree. liked that. Yeah. Um, I know, Sarah. What do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think about the consciousness and the uh, park turning out to be uh, collecting data on its customers, like some certain Silicon Valley? <laughs> well, it's fascinating people. because they have you know these rich characters who are obviously you know kind of awful people, um, and they they went in deciding that they wanted to have this done to them, you know, and then they realized that as soon as they give up the right to their bodies because they want to participate in this because they want to reap the rewards. They're in this hell, you know, because they're not no longer in charge. They have, you know, signed over their intellectual property, uh, literally, uh, to the corporation or whatever, even if they own it, it doesn't matter because the people who are running things are the ones who are in charge. And so you have, you know, these scenes where the guy is, is unable to kill himself. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting and very Black Mirror-esque where you have, you know, the, these rich characters who, when they were alive and genuinely human, you know, completely in charge of everything. And then they have been reduced to, you know, being slaves themselves in these, in, in, in you know, in these realities that they bought and paid for, not realizing what they had actually signed up for uh, and not realizing the implications. So I liked all of that. I mean, I love all of the sort of moralizing of, you know, you you made your bed, now you have to lie in it. I hadn't really thought of it until just now, but Westworld is almost like a literalized metaphor for the internet. You know, it's this (laughs) place where uh, people just go and do all the most awful things that they can think of and think that there's no (laughs) consequences and you get yeah. to see what people are really like the the awful darkness inside everyone's soul when they're posting on <laughs> Twitter or whatever. If that's true, then I want to go to the West World of Cats. You know, you <laughs> just go and there's there's cats playing with <laughs> toys and, you know, doing hilarious things and puppies and <laughs> But that's why Man, they don't def- have nor- mortals are not allowed to access <laughs> West World. Like the thing is, West World is just for rich people. So we're not seeing a full sampling of humanity right. and all the things that they would be interested in. We're seeing what rich people would be interested in, which is adds a whole other level of, you know, interesting. Yeah, John, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, um, 
Yeah, I, mean, I think you definitely wouldn't want to go to the 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 cat version of Westworld if the if the cat hosts got control of the park like they do in <laughs> Westworld because you you wouldn't want to be subject to their whims. <laughs> well, I mean, one of my big comments about season one was that I didn't think it was particularly I didn't think it particularly held together as science fiction with like the how mm-hmm. the guns work and that stuff. But I mm-hmm. thought it was great drama, and mm-hmm. I think this this I mean this really feels to me more like. I think you mentioned just now, Sarah, something about um, something about gods or demigods or myths or something, and that that's what this this felt more to me like that, like some sort of like like the robots are like demigods, and and it's like how the mortals interact with uh, the the gods, and there's fate, and you can't escape your fate, and you know the everything's in the control of the gods, and you know it, it felt more to me like yeah, like a Greek myth with like robot furniture than a real science fiction extrapolation of current technology or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Right, and I think one of the challenges that creates is, like, sometimes it can feel like you like the hand of the writers is a bit heavy, where, like, you can tell that they kind of, that there was going to be something tragic, um, like when um, Elsie, right, betrays or, or sort of turns against Bernard. Like, to me, that was a scene where it, it's not just, they, they definitely had set the stage for it in terms of her character and why she wouldn't trust him. But there was also an element of just like, well, you've been warned that she's going to betray you. And so because of like the, you know, the logic, the story logic, she will therefore betray you. And so like, it's not necessarily um, a, a, entirely a bad thing, but I think when, when too many of those things kind of pile up on each other and, and you can just feel like, but you feel like things are just happening because the writers decided to happen, I think it, it makes it less dramatically satisfying. Okay, so, so remind me. So, so Elsie is this sort of park, um, tech person who, uh, is palling around with Bernard for a lot of it. And then it seems like they're, they're kind of on again, off again for a lot of it. So which, which, what's the part you're talking about where she betrays? Oh, I'm talking about the very end. So, cause, um, at, bef- um, when they, when they were at the, uh, back at the Mesa at the very end. And, and at, at this point, you know, um, Anthony Hopkins has already said to Bernard, um, you know, you have to leave her behind. Or I think it's sort of implied that you should even maybe like kill her because, um, she, she, she ultimately is going to choose humans over you. And then there's this scene where it seems like Elsie and, and Bernard have kind of reconciled again. Then also maybe Elsie helped them with like destroying a lot of those hosts in that big scene with Clementine um, and then she kind of says, like, oh, also, Bernard, I'm not going to, you know, basically, now the real problem is figuring out what to do with you because I don't trust you. Um, and also, like, I don't, you know, the hosts are a problem. I'm going to go talk to, to Charlotte about this. Um, mm-hmm. which on the one hand, I think, like, is dramatically set up, but like, it, it also feels a little bit, you know, like a left turn, a little bit rushed. And also that I don't think that anything else he's seen would make her trust Charlotte. I mean, that just seems, I mean, maybe that's just like, uh, you know, hindsight, but it like just seems like such an obviously bad decision. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you mentioned the Clementine. That was freaking awesome where they turned her into mm. the like robot typhoid Mary. I, yeah. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, but how about Sarah? Do you have anything else you want to, I feel like we're being a little hard on this show. Do you have anything else that you <laughs> liked that you want to, uh, want to throw out there? Oh, well, there's lots of things I liked about it. Um, I I feel like, you know, I, I've said this before, but I feel like there are um, moments where you have too much explaining with specific. So you have a lot of specific technologies that you can either choose 
to explain or not from the writer's perspective. And, you know, if given the choice between a poor explanation or even a medium grade explanation, I prefer not explaining it at all. Um, and I forget where I talked about this before, but some of the, you know, this idea of if you invent something that's so far out there, you can't actually explain it. Um, but it just exists. And you, if, if you, you know, if you feel like you have to, then you end up in a metachlorian situation where you <laughs> feel like you have to create this internal logic. And usually that internal logic sucks. Whereas if it just exists, you know, it's, it's a lot more like Star Trek where it's like, they didn't feel like, like compelled to explain, well, we have these, you know, medical scanners. And if they try to try to explain how they work, they get into some sticky territory. Whereas if they just exist, it becomes a much more timeless uh, artifact of science fiction to me, because then 30, 50 years down the line, when these things exist, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it, 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 it didn't matter, you know, how it happened. The fact is, well, of course, these, these will ultimately eventually exist. We have no idea how or why. Um, so to me, you know, it's, it's more important, I think, unless you come up with a really great backstory for each technological advancement you have invented and a plausible explanation as to why it's better to leave it and not have, you know, so for me, I enjoy that stuff. I really enjoy just that these crazy, awesome, futuristic things exist, and I don't need to know why. I mean, sir, I agree. In general, I agree with you. But I think in this case, what's most interesting to me about this setup is like, wait, how does this park actually work? Like, you know, and I, and I, I think that would be more interesting to explore than a lot of the stuff they end up doing. I mean, like one thing that I that was really bothering me was so you have these robots running amok. And they've captured the guests, and um, Dolores gives this big speech about how we're taking revenge on you for mistreating us. And I thought the guests should have said, I was lied to. I was told that you weren't sentient. I was told this was all just like a big video game, basically, mm -hmm. and it was all just for fun. I had no idea. I would never hurt anyone. And mm -hmm. not only would, is that what they would actually say in that situation, but I thought that would be dramatically much more interesting than a lot of the stuff that they they do do. And I just, I just don't understand. I mean, and, and, and like... Why don't the I mean, like, I understand why when the robot uprising starts, they're all using six shooters and, um, you know, shotguns and stuff. But you, you would think that after like a day or two, they would all have picked up all the automatic weapons from the security guys who are lying dead everywhere. Yeah. And it's it's just like details like that make make something feel real. And 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 the, and the lack of them in this just made it feel like a weird dream to me so much of the time. We also have no idea how much time has passed. And this is part of what drove me nuts about season two is that I kept wanting to know, has it been two days? Has it been 24 hours? Like how long has it been between the, uh, massacre at the, um, at the party and when they all wash up on the beach? Like I mm -hmm. want to know how many days that was, um, so that I can, you know, wrap my head around it, uh, especially. I mean, it in reviews you know, I watched, people were throwing out two weeks. I don't know how yeah. they arrived mm -hmm. at that, but that's... no, I think that's that's a line of dialogue. Like at the very in the premiere, where they're like when they're waking Bernard up, um, they're mm -hmm. like, "Oh, it's been two weeks since the massacre." Mm -hmm. So there you go. If you <laughs> <laughs> there was a line of dialogue about it, so you should have caught that. <laughs> that makes me feel yeah. I'm not so saying that everyone's remember. I think I just think that's where it comes from, <laughs> and I have right. a vague memory of this. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, just so you know, in, in terms of uh, us being too hard on the show, I mean, for for what's worth, I mean, you know, although I have a lot of issues, like I really love watching the show. I mean, I I would say it's definitely one of my favorite shows, and like it's appointment viewing for us, like at home, like it's like. Nine o'clock on Sunday, we're watching Westworld, you know, because like, well, also, I don't want to get spoiled on things, but, uh, and that's a sort of, the sort of show that you're bound to see some spoilers for it, um, if you're not careful. Uh, but also just like, I'm really excited to watch it. Um, I mean, it's also partially because like, like, cause my wife Christy just like really is like super, super into the show. Like, uh, I mean, to a surprising extent, like I, I wouldn't have said that this was the sort of show that she's definitely going to like, but she, man, she loves it. It's her favorite show. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I and, think they're, uh, yeah, if I feel like they're, you know, one of the things that, you know, that the difference in, in the perspective between me and Dave might be because I was raised religious. Because being raised religious means you are raised in a very specific kind of bubble where everything that you are told about the nature of reality <laughs> turns out to not be true. I mean, it's kind of like being, you know, it's like imagine being raised uh, as a child believing in Santa but your whole life is about Santa, you know, like not just Christmas. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so I feel like I am much more attracted to science fiction that, that, that just wants to go full on metaphysical and, you know, uh, talk about how we define these realities and how we uh, decide what's real. And I'm less interested in, you know, in the specific details that make it feel real to me. Whereas I'm more interested in why, do the guests feel like it's real? Why do the hosts feel like it's real? That is a super interesting observation, Sarah. I really like that. But yeah, but I, I am, I'm definitely coming at it from the opposite perspective where I feel like there's so little serious science fiction on television that yeah. I'm just like like a like a um, person dying of thirst in the desert looking for like, a little <laughs> puddle of water. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of like formulating. It's almost like a law of physics. I was thinking that, you know, how like radioactive isotopes decay. And so, like, one will turn into another. And I feel like every science fiction TV show, it just decays into mysticism at a steady rate. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I'm having trouble thinking of too many exceptions to that, where it starts out and you're like, oh, this is science fiction. And then by, like, season four, they're, like, all, mm -hmm. like, talking about God all the time or something. And yeah. so... I mean, yeah. Lost, basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, that Battlestar, that Battlestar Galactica. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. So, Anthony, what do you... Who, who's right here, me or Sarah? <laughs> Say me. Uh, no, I mean, obviously, I think I've been harder on this show and and more from the the Dave perspective. Um, but and but I do I do actually really like and I'm enjoying large large stretches of the show. I think partly because those are like mostly enjoyable on like a filmmaking level. Um, so they're sort of harder to talk about, whereas like the nitpicky stuff is a lot easier to articulate. Um, I will say like one other thing that I, I did really like in the final episode that, that I did want to talk a little bit about was like, um, as from like an idea perspective was the, uh, this, this sort of, I, basically the revelation that Ford, the reason he sides with the hosts, which wasn't really explained before, was that he feels like the hosts, um, have this ability that they, the fact that they can be reprogrammed is actually a virtue. Versus like the fact, the idea that all, you know, human beings basically were just stuck with what, with who we are and that can't really change. Um, and I thought that was just like a really smart inversion of the fact that like the show, um, in some ways is it's difficult to get invested in the host characters because especially in the first season, they could be a different person from season to season, um, from episode to episode or scene to scene. Um, and instead to say, actually, that's actually what makes them 
better people in a certain way, I thought was really interesting. And I'm hoping they explore that in uh, the third season. I yeah. really liked the idea that they're like, when, when we first tried to simulate people, it failed because we were trying to overcomplicate it. And it turns out you just need like 10,000 lines of code and people really aren't <laughs> that complicated. You can sort of, you know, predict all their behavior. Just it's not that people there's not that much to us. You know, you, we're not yeah. that uh, unpredictable. Well, I feel like one of the things that makes the show so enjoyable for me is that it's also like a, a feminist revenge tale. <laughs> and like, you know, with everything going on right now in the world, it, it's really hard to have faith in humanity as a whole. It's really, you know, I love it when. When, whenever something happens, there's always some person on Twitter these days that says, you know what, just send the asteroid, destroy the <laughs> humans, figure out a way to destroy humans so that animals can take over because we have just fucked it up and <laughs> forget it. You know, and so I feel like part of uh, what makes Westworld interesting is, you know, Ford, it, it's a very reasonable thing that Ford would have gotten to the point where he was just sick of humanity. And I feel like he started to, you know, as the the series progressed, you know, and as, as this park has been open for decades, where he saw some of the absolute worst of humanity and, and, and knew that people who, who ran the park alongside him had these ulterior motives and started to see the hosts as this purer uh, expression of humanity. So I think that that, you know, makes Ford's arc, uh, make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, one of the other things I, I really love about the show is, uh, just some of the completely unexpected, like, turns that it takes. Like, you know, very, very, very infrequently do I ever watch any movie or television show and, like, audibly explain, exclaim, holy shit. You know, but like on Westworld, there were a couple times where that happened. Like, uh, like when Bernard, uh, first like says, like, that doesn't look like anything to me. I was like, Oh my God, like what? And then it's like, Oh no. And then when you watch it back, it's like, no, it makes sense. When he shows him the picture, it's like, Oh, that's a picture of him and Bernard and some other guy. And so you're left to think that it's the other guy that he's talking about as the co-creator, not Bernard, because Bernard's not him. Uh, but no, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's just, it, it all, it was, that was such, that was so great. And then like, you know, then the, the big reveal when we realized that William and the man in black are the same person, um, and all that. And then, you know, in season two, they have some of those as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I really love to have that kind of, um, immersive show where there are, the, there are clues to these things. And maybe, maybe it's like impossible basically for people to figure it out, but I, I appreciate having this immersive experience that I feel like I'm understanding everything, but then still have the capacity to just be really pleasantly surprised by in that kind of way. So well, I, I like to get props for that. Yeah, let me say one of those holy shit moments for me was when um, uh, the man in black kills um, his daughter. Mm -hmm. um, like, oh, my God. And I loved that. I loved that they introduced her because in, he's sort of like – Sort of on like basically a one dimensional villain pretty much for most of the show, and I thought that having her come in and you see like she's someone who will talk back to him and give him shit and you know doesn't take shit from him and i I really liked the the dynamic between them, yeah. and then where he's just like, "Oh, Ford, you know mm -hmm. I, I know that you know I know that's you, you know it was just out of I was just riveted um at that part. Yeah, and so speaking of um, speaking of him and his daughter, um, so uh, this is I mean this is this is like after that, um, but like you know as as the end game progresses and like you know he's getting shot and stuff and it's like uh, there's a certain point where uh, I think it's just in this last episode um, him and Dolores are like 
shooting at some of the um, park security or whatever. And it's like, I started to wonder if, at that point, I started to wonder, like, well, was he actually transplanted into a host already? You know, like, like they had been doing, like they'd seen with uh, Delos and everything. Like, had he been, had that happened to him already? And that person that's in the park is actually him in a host body because it's like, he gets shot several times. And it's like, yeah, he's staggering around like it hurts, but it's like, there's also a scene where he's like sort of just digging into his forearm to take a bullet out. And it's like, he doesn't really seem like he's bothering him per se. And I'm like, I don't know, is that just he's like so stoic that he can do that? Or see, is there I, else going I on? thought he was, but, dig- wait, wait, I thought he was digging into yeah. his arm to check if he had a port inside. Right. Oh. That's what I thought. Oh, okay. I thought he was digging a bullet out. Um, but other than that, like also like he shoots with unerring accuracy. Like, and I get that, like, you know, he's been going to the park for a long time, but it's like, man, like, he could have, you know, he would have been like the sharpest sharpshooter in the, in the whole planet, um, of, of all time, um, in any other situation. But it's like, you know, he shoots as well as the hosts do. Um, so that, that I got started wondering at that point. Uh, it's apparently a fairly popular theory on Reddit that he is mm-hmm. replaced with a host uh, around the time of the party massacre. Um, oh, at that time. I see. I don't personally hmm. love that, but um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there is some like circumstantial evidence to support that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it makes it better or worse, um, or what you know, I haven't really thought through all the implications of it, but I kind of started to wonder if that's what they were heading towards. I just feel like there's um, really a point of, of that. diminishing returns with people turning out to be robots. Yeah, and <laughs> um, particularly as we learned from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and like the, at the end where Stubbs turns out to be a host, I just fucking hated that. And oh, um, yeah. It was, and apparently I even read that they just like made that up on the spot. They're like, oh, this would be so cool if he turns out to be a robot. It wasn't, you know, uh-huh. it, it wasn't part of the plan all along. Right. And it, that was just like, yeah, definitely like a bridge or two too far for me. Yeah. It's almost always a mistake to throw in a, a, a big twist that you hadn't considered uh, from the start and be like, oh yeah, hey, how about we do that? You know, because usually it's not well grounded. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see Sarah or Anthony, anything, anything you want to throw in here? Well, I guess one thing I wanted to ask about in that context was then if we're talking about, um, uh, the Ed Harris, the, the man in black being, uh, William being a, a host is do we think, cause I think there's also some confusion about how then the, the post credit scene fits into that. And like, right. is that, cause I read that as being probably like separate and not necessarily, um, confirming the, the idea that the man in black at least in the present tense of the show, is a host. But I think some other people saw that, and it's just that he becomes a host somewhere down the line. Um, but some other people seem to see that as, like, confirmation that he was a host. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure out how to read that scene. I, I was trying to piece it together, like, figure out where the timeline is supposed to happen. And, you know, it's like, is she, is she like, a real person that's talking to a real, you know, host? Because, or is she a host? Or, like, I don't, I, I couldn't make sense of what it was. Yeah, so... But, yeah, so well, let's just explain. So, yeah, so after the credits, uh, which you really have to know to watch after the credits because there's no other post credit scene in the show as far as I know. But, yeah, you see this scene where um, Ed Harris, the man in black, stumbles out of an elevator missing his hand that got we saw get blown off in a previous scene. And I think that's one of the really confusing things. But he um, mm-hmm. and he kind of meets uh, a daughter, his daughter or who, who's already dead at this point or or a, um, you know, host recreation of her in a uh, sort of ruined 
clearly much older version of the the forge area and she's giving him she says that he's been here many times before and she's giving him the fidelity test questions um and she says very clearly that this is not virtual reality mm-hmm. um and actually if you read interviews they they make it pretty clear that this is the, like you know 30 years on from the events that we just watched uh in the park mm-hmm. and that this is setting up stuff for season 3 Oh, um, but it is super confusing. Hmm. Yeah, um, just just if you're just watching it for the first time. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, like even even with me having had the thought during the actual episode about the him possibly possibly being a host, when I got to that, I was like, I don't know if this confirms or rebuffs my idea. Like, I I don't I couldn't I couldn't make head or tails of it. Uh, oh, and, so, and and that she's the daughter is a host. Like they've just said that. Right. Okay. Huh. Weird. How are we supposed to understand that? Uh, maybe that's why they maybe that's why they didn't put it in the actual episode. They're like, ah, eh, that's just after credit sequence. It doesn't have to really make that much sense. I mean, I thought she was acting more robotic than uh-huh. we had seen her. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sarah, what do you what do you what'd you make of that post credit sequence? I didn't even think that, you know, it was necessarily like are they hosts or are they not, but I thought it was like happening inside of the computer. Like, mm-hmm. like, just not even, it wasn't even that they had been granted host bodies or whatever, but that this was part of uh, whatever was going on that wasn't, you know, part of the encrypted world that they, that they were in. But I had not, you know, read the uh, interviews that you had that said that, you know, this was all happening 30 years later. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's part of the thing that makes the show so enjoyable for me is that. To me, I just, you know, like the character development is top notch. And I absolutely loved, like, you know, the, the arc of, uh, Lee Sizemore character, where in the beginning, you know, he's just sort of this amoral, you know, this is his job, whatever. And he, he learns to, uh, not only care for the hosts and understand their plight, but he ultimately sacrifices himself. Um, you know, yeah, he's, and, he's the right, he's the writer of the, yeah, the script writer, basically. Right, right. Um, and, you know, uh, Tandy's character, Maeve, like her whole uh, resolution at the end was incredibly satisfying, even though it was uh, very sad. Um, so, you know, I I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I'm I'm not critical or anything about this. It's just that you know, it, it to, to me, it's so much more of a, a of a character drama that has that you know science fiction furniture. Uh, to it and you know the memento we're definitely gonna mind fuck you and knowing that i'm just like okay i'm here for it whatever happens i'm I'm cool with it as long as it doesn't end like lost that <laughs> that would be unforgivable <laughs> like half the theories on reddit at the time were better more than half like 70 percent were better than what they did it's like they just gave up <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing about Lee joining the robots, I thought that played out pretty well. But that the other guys, the Felix and Sylvester or uh-huh. whatever, that really seems weird to me. You know, like like Maeve basically says to them, like, help me take over this facility and kill all your coworkers and potentially take over the world or else I'm going to tell people you've been having sex with the um, hosts. And like, first of all, I just I don't believe in this world that like having sex with the hosts wouldn't be just like like one of the perks of working here. Like, uh, you know, I just don't buy that at all. But, but even grant, it's just like the, the risk of being exposed is so much less than the risk of going along with her. That, that mm-hmm. whole thing just seemed really weird to me. 
Yeah, I remember having a lot of problems with that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of glad that they figured out a way to keep those guys in the show because <laughs> I, I couldn't, I actually, I didn't imagine how they were going to stay on the show. And I was, and before season two, I was thinking, like, oh, that's a shame. They're not going to be able to be there. But, um, but yeah, no, that, that does seem a bit forced. But you're Especially right. They used to have this amazing expression of just like, God, what have we gotten ourselves into that they keep giving each other, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but especially especially the bearded guy, like he seemed much more harder, much harder to believe that he would have gone along with it as opposed to the other guy who, you know, at least seemed much more um, yeah. sensitive to to their, uh, you know, the, the fact that they, these are sentient uh, beings. Um, well, and he seemed much that, more pliable, too. Like he just seems yeah. like he would basically do whatever anyone told him to do. Right, right. Um, and then, so, but then in, uh, in the final episode, when they're, when they're looking at the, the Fisher thing, uh, the, you know, that the portal to the, to the virtual world that the hosts go through, and they can't see it, um, I actually kind of thought that would be funny if they, if, if, if they were looking at in that direction and, and one of them said that didn't look like anything to me or something like that to call back to that, but that would have just been so confusing. <laughs> we would have been like, oh my god, what? Are, what are, are they hosts? What? Well, I don't understand. Uh, wait, what, what, I mean, it's, what were you saying, John, the Fisher thing? The the Fisher, uh, like the Fisher in reality. Um, oh, the fish. Oh, yeah. Okay. F i s s u r e Fisher. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're they're looking at it, and all the hosts can see it. Uh, but then they the the humans can't see it, and they don't know what the hell they're looking at. Um, and and so they say something else. But it's like I thought uh, even like I don't know what the fuck they're looking at or whatever. <laughs> like he he said something with the vulgarity in it like that. But um, I thought it would have been funny if the, if it was phrased more closely to the way the hosts say it, so that it could have been like, oh well, obviously they're still humans. But um, that's a like a callback to that. Uh, but I thought that was cool though that that it was a thing that the only the host could see because otherwise I was like, wait, what is happening there? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Is... <laughs> and so I was relieved that it's like, oh, okay, it's it's, it's something the hosts see because they're like, you know, they're hosts. And um, I, I thought that thing was super cool how they step through it and their body fall on the other yeah. side falls into the water and then they walk through their mind walks through into this virtual realm. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I thought it was sort of I. I don't know. I don't want want to keep like being negative, but I mean, (laughs) like, I I feel like I would have liked some of this stuff a lot more if 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 you had more of a fair chance to predict what was going to happen. And and like with that, I feel like because I was like, oh, wait, if they all like just enter this um, this Garden of Eden inside the computer, aren't they still going to be under the control of the humans? And like what's going to aren't they all just going to get erased or controlled or something if they're, Mm. um, you know, confined to that physical location? And then she's like, "Oh no, we can just beam them out into space, and they'll be fine." And right. I was like, "What? Wait, what? Wait, where? I didn't know that was really on the table." Um, and right. there's just a lot of stuff like that. I wish that had been foreshadowed more, so that I had sort of a fair chance to to to, to make educated guesses about what, what was going to happen next. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought up the whole beaming them into space thing because yeah, that was something I was very confused by. Like, I wasn't sure. Like, what? Like, wh- where is she sending the signal? I mean, it's like. Just like into nothingness, like so basically, like like I don't, I didn't understand, like wh- what's going to receive it on the other end of that, like, like yeah, I, I don't know, I was very confused by that, but um, I mean, as far as your point, like I totally get what you're saying about like you know, you wish that like you know you could have had a fair shot to actually figure things out. I feel like I had zero shot of ever figuring out this show. Uh, I'm okay with it in general, like I I don't mind, like 
being just like I, I don't like I don't typically try to figure out a show as I'm watching it because I want to I want to let it unfold the way the creator intended and and I mean sometimes I inevitably get ahead of the show and but sometimes I just I mean most of the time I'm just trying to go along for the ride but but yeah it's like but but the, at a certain point it's like well but it's just impossible there's no way it's like this is a puzzle that we have no we don't have the tools to actually uh, put together. Um, and so that does seem a little unfair um, when you try to think about it in that way. I have to say that, John, I went back and listened to our other Westworld panel, and we just based on the first four episodes, we were making some predictions. And I think we did a fairly creditable job. I mean, we did, definitely did not predict that the man in black was William. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, the big thing. That would be hard to predict from just the first four episodes, I think. But you, mm-hmm. you predicted that you thought that maybe Arnold had downloaded his mind into one of the hosts and that one of the hosts was Arnold. Uh, oh, neat. I mean, you were saying maybe it was Ed Harris. Um, you know, right. It turned out to not to be, but I mean, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, prediction. Um, hey, <laughs> Teresa predicted myself on the back. <laughs> Teresa predicted that um, Ed Harris was like s- somehow a third co-founder of the park, um, oh, mm-hmm. which turned out to be pretty much right. Um, right. I predicted that Anthony Hopkins had killed Arnold over a disagreement about how to treat the robots, um, which I'm still a little confused about this, but I think that's bo- that's basically right. Yeah, um, I mean, right. he kind of had Dolores do it, mm-hmm. but um, and then Raj. I think actually there's a line that that suggests this pretty clearly. But Raj was saying maybe the the real goal of the park was to create immortality for humans. Uh, right. Yeah. So totally. I, I think we did a pretty. I, I, yeah, we got to give ourselves a big pat on the back. I think we did pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I, I thought about going back to listen to that to see how we did because I, I know we did throw a lot of theories around. Um, but that's that's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, we did all right. <laughs> Um, and then, so what do you guys, anyone have any theory, uh, have any predictions now? Sarah, you have any predictions <laughs> for season three? Nope. I, uh, I, I don't, uh, have any specific ideas. I'm just sort of, you know, curious to see what they do with it. And I do think that, you know, part of my, my faith that this is not going to end up like Lost is because Lost is kind of, uh, has become this beacon of, from a functionalist perspective, of what not to do for writers. And I feel like that, you know, everybody just knows that that, that that happened. And it's not like, you know, you can find people who really love the ending of Lost, but they're really hard to find. Um, so I feel like, you they, know, they tweet it, they tweet at me when I, yeah, I'm sure that they do. And it's kind of, but it's just kind of like, it's, 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 I feel like they know that that is what everybody would compare it to if they if they did this if they screwed us over and the fact that it's Jonathan Nolan and not you know exclusively JJ Abrams and I you know I don't even blame JJ Abrams I think that he probably just started got the ball rolling and then left it up to other people who ultimately made that decision but you know it, yeah I I just I think that because I had to watch Memento twice like I hmm. I watched it once I was like, I have no idea what just happened. I read some reviews and then I thought, okay, I have to watch it twice to understand it. I watched it twice and then I got, okay, all right, now I get it. Now it's beautiful. Um, so I'm hoping for that kind of thing because it's so satisfying. I mean, it's part of the reason I think why Game of Thrones is so popular because you have all of these threads that ultimately do resolve and they do connect and they do make sense. And so I'm just really hoping that we get a, you know, really long, episode of memento basically for however many seasons this lasts but i do think also that comes from you know showrunners making good decisions about when do we end this 
and not trying to artificially extend it, um, which mm-hmm. if the ratings continue to dive, they won't have that <laughs> choice. So that's good. That'll make them work a little bit harder, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Well, yeah, I think that HBO was clearly hoping this would be their next Game of Thrones cash cow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this is going to sustain that kind of popularity over five seasons or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I mean, the the thing that depresses me about that is, I mean, obviously I would like Westworld to continue even though we have issues with it. Um, the thing that depresses me about it, though, is that it will see it will be seen as this standard bearer for science fiction, as all you know, big attempts to tell science fiction stories tend to be. So when one fails or doesn't perform up to expectations, you know, it's an excuse for other producers or networks to not pursue other you know science fiction shows. And I think part of the problem with Westworld is that, like you were saying earlier, Dave, where it's like, it kind of seems like it's this hard science fiction thing that's grappling with these big issues, but it's really more kind of a a, a, a sort of mythic take using the furniture of science fiction. And so, even though it seems kind of very technical, uh, it's not really doing that hard SF thing that, like, I think, you know, you and I at least both would really want, like something like, you know, something that takes science fiction very seriously, like The Expanse. Um, and so when a show like this doesn't do as well, it's more evidence that like, oh no, we shouldn't bother putting money into like a, a brainy science fiction show because people won't watch it. Um, especially with, you know, the struggles that the Expanse has had. So, um, yeah, I think it's like, it's like, it's bad news in general for people who want brainy science fiction, um, that this hasn't done better, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean, Anthony, you sent around that article about this, the ratings dipping. Did you have anything you wanted to add about that? No, I just thought that was sort of interesting context for, for talking about the show. Um, though I guess that maybe that is the one, uh, prediction I feel confident, <laughs> semi-confident in making is that I think when the third season happens, um, you, the showrunners are going to go around and they're going to do interviews where they say, okay, we understand that a lot of people thought season two was too confusing. And so season, they're going to like promote season three as a bit of a course correction. And like, there'll be, it'll be like 10% less confusing or something like that. It'll still be Westworld, but it'll be like, yeah. there'll be, uh, I, th- I think also because I do think that there's a way to make this show where, I mean, some of the logistical issues that we have probably will never be resolved, but like, um, just there's a little bit more of a hand reached out to the audience where it's still mm-hmm. ambitious and complex, but isn't necessarily doing, you know, four different flashbacks and flash forwards in one episode. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I, I don't expect them to do this on like the the actual broadcast version of the show, but like, like, release, like, a Westworld for Dummies uh, <laughs> version. You know, like, either the DVD where, like, I mean, hey, speaking of Memento, on the Memento Special Edition DVD, you can watch it in chronological order. Okay. There's a way that you can just, yeah, like, you can just watch it in chronological <laughs> order. Um, so, like, that's really interesting. And so Westworld, I wouldn't suggest doing that, but, but like, have an overlay that just tells you which frickin' timeline it is. Yeah. So, like, you know, once you know, it's much easier to keep track of, like, what's happening in which timeline. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, there, there are ways that you can do this, uh, even with the way they've already shot the first two seasons, that can actually, like, help you if you want to, in retrospect, understand it better. Um, whereas now it's like, it's just like, you kind of have to refer to articles online that have figured it out or whatever, which is what I did when I rewatched season one. But, um, I mean, it's like asking a lot of the audience. And, um, I mean, I think there's many more people who won't do that than will, unfortunately, you know. Um, 
So it's like as much as like, you know, Dave, when you were saying it's like, well, you like when a show makes you sort of work for it sometimes. But it's like, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, the vast majority of people aren't going to have that level of commitment. Um, so I think if you can do anything to try to make it a little bit easier for folks to, to try to grapple with what's going on. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, you know, cause like I, I've been watching it on HBO Go and it's like, I mean, I can see there's like, um, you know, there's extras, uh, available from each episode and everything. And it's like, I mean, it'd be very easy to like, hey, let, let me watch this episode with, uh, you know, with an overlay that explains shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let me say, I mean, just to give the show credit, one thing I want to say is that each season, seemingly is significantly different than the previous season, mm. right? Like the first season is like, oh, this is the park. And then the second season is the robots have taken over the park. And indications to me are that the third season is going to take place substantially outside the park altogether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I, I, I wonder why, if they really need more than three seasons. I mean, it seems like, I don't know how much more story there could be, but I mean, people were saying, you know, there, there was a sequel to the original Westworld movie called Future World, which I haven't seen. But apparently the plot of that is that they start using these robots to replace like world leaders and business leaders and stuff like that. Um, and to, in order to take control. And so that seems like that that must be Dolores's plan at this point. Mm. Um, so that could be interesting. But I don't I don't I don't see that going for more than a season, that storyline. So uh, I don't know. Wait, I have one question that I wanted to ask before, um, before yeah. the end, which was about at the end, Bernard is brought back by Dolores. It, it turns out that all these um, like calibration scenes we've been seeing are actually these flash forwards to um, to after this whole like catastrophe. Is the Bernard that's brought back brought back from Dolores's memories? Because that's what I assumed. Because um, I think she like has a line of dialogue about bring like you know I remembered you. And then also that that's presumably why you do the calibration, not just because you smuggled his brain out. But then I also, but then I assume that because she smuggled a bunch of robot brains out, why wouldn't Bernard's just have been one of them? So I was, I was kind of confused about what was happening there. Dude, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have yeah. To <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. That's a good question. So yeah, actually, I don't think honestly things. it hadn't even really occurred to me that all those things <laughs> had been flash forwards uh yeah i think you're right though but yeah you're asking the wrong person there's a, some people on reddit you might want to direct that question to. <laughs> yeah you know but speaking of that so yeah like you know that there's the one scene in the final episode that that yeah it does make that clear that like the, that at least that scene there and potentially all of the scenes with dolores and bernard are this flash forward scene um but what i wasn't clear was uh so taking that as an assumption um does does it apply to all of those scenes in season two or to all of the scenes, including the scenes in season one? Um, because, you know, it's made clear at a certain point in season one that those scenes are take place that take place in a separate timeline from, you know, the other two timelines that we see in the park. Um, but then it's like, I think the season one ones must be different, right? Yeah, no, I think the season I think in season two, it becomes clear that the season one scenes were flashbacks to when. Right. Uh, no, actually, I don't know. I'm confused. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure those were were actual flashbacks. Right, and then the and ones that, in that's that's two how Dolores was able to recreate. Um, right, Bernard later is because they had spent so much time together talking when right. he was calibrating her. I think that's right. Right. Intent. Okay. Yeah, so that it'll be interesting to rewatch season two and and to look for that also. I mean, there was of course to to look for how Charlotte Hale behaves. Um, 
uh, since we now know that, you know, she got taken over by Dolores, or, you know, Dolores, she's a host, she's a host copy of, of Hale with, uh, Dolores' mind, um, it'll be interesting to watch her behavior throughout the whole season, but then also, like, yeah, to keep an eye on those, um, Bernard and Dolores scenes and see if, uh, if, you know, see if it plays differently, knowing that, like, oh, actually, this is them interacting farther in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, as long as we're throwing out questions, I have a couple of random questions. I'm curious if anyone can answer. So in the last scene, pretty much between Dolores and William, he tries to double cross her and she's suddenly completely bulletproof. Oh, yeah. Is there an explanation for that? Well, I think and this is sort of a, not totally clear to me, but my my sense was that essentially all the hosts, all the physical damage doesn't really do anything to them it's more the that like it sets off something in their programming that makes mm. them act dead which is why the bodies can be reused and so Dolores at some point has like reached the 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 you know some broken through in some way where she no longer responds to physical damage in that way so she, so you can't hurt her in that traditional way right yeah she turned off the pain sensors or whatever like because Maeve did that too uh she dialed it way down to zero or whatever so yeah I, I assume that's what happened there but my question about that is, though, she put that, that like, uh, busted up bullet in the gun somehow, right? Because then, yeah. like, after, after he shoots her four times, then he shoots again and he blows his hand off because it, it backfires. Why didn't she put that as the first bullet? <laughs> <laughs> then the first time he went to shoot her, it would have blown up on his hand. Well, because she's bulletproof. Like, she just wanted to just, yeah. like, totally. It was much more, it was much more dramatic <laughs> the way she did it, I, I, admittedly. But, um,. Uh, okay, so my other question is, Maeve acquires the ability to control robots, but seems to not always use it when it would be a good mm-hmm. idea to use it. And then it doesn't seem to work on some people, and I'm not clear why mm-hmm. either of those things. Like, why doesn't yeah, it work I... on the Shogun guy? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, and, and, like, I was wondering that in the last episode, too, like, when she... Finally, at the end, like throws her hand up and and pauses everyone, um, so that um, you know, so that her daughter uh, can escape into the into the fissure. Um, why didn't she do that earlier? Like in that whole scene, like the typhoid Mary uh, uh, character is is going through and and setting all the all the hosts against each other, um, and so there's chaos. Why didn't she throw up her hand and stop all that in the first place? Sarah's like so annoyed with us right now. She's, <laughs> it's a no, TV I, show. I'm I'm just thinking. I I think that you know she probably just um whatever the 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 typhoid Mary thing was. I doubt that she was uh entirely impervious to that because they would have ah. created that with the full knowledge of what Maeve learned to do. Correct? Like they they yeah. Started... Well, they they got the idea from from her ability, right? right? So. It's plausible mm. to me that, you know, that 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 or maybe she just has to work harder to control all of the hosts. I mean, there were hundreds, mm. you know, there that she wouldn't necessarily have to do that. I'm not sure, but I assume the former. Yeah, I thought with the Shogun, it was because and I agree that the, I mean, it's not really explained, but was my sense was that she was still, you know, at that point, she had the verbal pl- power and was still coming to understand that she had this sort of telepathic power as well. And so at that point, she hadn't really mastered it yet. Um, and then, yeah, with the, uh, in the typhoid Mary scene, it was that, that she had 
basically these limitations on her power. She can't save everyone. And so she's basically saving it for like a crucial moment. I'm trying to remember what the Shogun one, what the Shogun situation, wasn't it that, um, like that, didn't they explain that away? Like because the, the Shogun hosts only spoke Japanese and then, uh, Maeve didn't speak Japanese. And so like, they just, they couldn't actually talk to each other or does she, no, but she actually speaks Japanese at some point at some, uh, during that scene, right? Or that episode, right? Yeah, my impression is that she realizes that she needs to speak Japanese, but then still doesn't yeah. do it after that point. Right, right, right. I mean, I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but that's my strong yeah. memory of it. Yeah, I think you're right. Hmm. All right, well, maybe people can post comments so, <laughs> if they understand. This. Oh, I, I look forward to reading all the comments on on every episode. I guess just one other thing I want to mention, John, is you said you really liked the episode where it's the whole thing is about the Native American guy. Um, yeah, yeah. We haven't really talked too much about that. Is there anything you just want to say about why you liked that episode? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just it just seemed like it was just like beautiful writing and acting, and uh, it just it felt like very emotional and real, like for this, um, you know, like from this sort of uh, very alien viewpoint of this. Uh, you know, host, uh, having this real, like, emotional connection and, uh, uh, and having this very, uh, you know, unusual, uh, forced separation from, from the woman they loved. And, and, like, I just, I just loved all of the intricacies of that episode. Um, I, just, I felt like it was really well done. Like, I mean, if I was going to single out an episode, be like, oh, no, you got to make sure you watch that one, you know? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense if you <laughs> hadn't seen all the <laughs> other ones, but, uh, but I mean, I, I just thought there were so many, um, it was just like, it did so many things right yeah. that um, I was just really excited about all these different elements uh, really coming together and so for like a, re- a really great hour, a really great hour of television. Yeah, I completely agree. And especially because, you know, you can tell the importance of how they, you know, the writers understood that if we're going to have a robot uprising, we can't have only two hosts that everybody cares about. So the fact that, you know, that, that you're watching uh, as you, especially the last, you know, two or three episodes, it's not just what happens to Maeve, what happens to Dolores. You are invested in all of these other characters because they took the time to, you know, have these little standalone episodes that introduce why, you know, these characters that have always been there in the background uh, suddenly matter more and have their own agency. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking, John, as I was watching that episode, that I kind of wished I had watched it without having watched any of the <laughs> other episodes because I think that would be really creepy you know you just be like what the yeah. heck hell is going on here and there's like the guys in their like biohazard suits hmm. taking his wife away and their yeah. jeep and stuff you just be like what the f is going on here you know oh that yeah that would be a really interesting thing to try like you know find somebody who doesn't care about being spoiled by the by the show and hasn't seen it yet and just have them watch it and see how they react um but uh you know i mean one of the reasons i liked it i i think is because it was basically a short story it was like the short story that was dropped in the middle of this larger narrative um so yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to see if it really holds up all all by itself, or um, or if it or if it just doesn't make sense. But uh, yeah, and the t- so yeah, and that- the tone of it was seemed to me much different than the rest of the show. I mean, it had a much more yeah. like I don't know, like legit quality or something. I don't know what to how to put uh-huh, it exactly, uh-huh. but you know, it was yeah, like a much more just um, I don't know, sort of poignant or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I also love that the the reveal. I think it was in that episode where the reveal that um that that guy was actually coming to Maeve's house to actually warn her not, not to, you know, kill her and butcher her family. Like, uh, like it was previously portrayed as, or what Maeve had thought back, you know, in her memories. Uh, so I thought that was really, uh, interesting to, to, 
to to explain all that and and to show us that because uh, you know we we'd seen it from this one point of view and then it's like oh well no but actually that's not what happened you know. Uh, I'm just looking over my notes here. I guess there's one other thing I'll throw in here. This is from the Wired review. I don't think this is actually right, but I like the idea. But but this re- reviewer was of the opinion that the man in Black's quest was that he had to get he he realized that they had made a copy of him and he didn't want the cop them you know a copy of himself to be in the hands of the Delos Corporation and so his goal throughout the series is to get into the forge and delete their copy of himself. I, oh. I don't know if there's any textual support for that. I if if there is I didn't notice it. I really think that's pretty cool though. Yeah, that's really interesting. Huh. I do think he has some dialogue at the end when he gets into the forge, which is about him essentially showing that he can't be programmed and that he, you know, he still has free will. But like, what exactly that means, uh, and how, if that necessarily implies that he was destroying his copy, uh, not clear to me. I like it though. Yeah, I think that should have been. I mean, if it, if, if, I don't, I don't think that was the intent of the show, but I think it maybe should have been because I think that's pretty cool. Um, but all right, yeah, we're, we're pretty much out of time here, so maybe we'll start wrapping this up. So how about some final thoughts? Uh, so how about Sarah? Final thoughts on Westworld Season 2? Uh, well, we didn't talk about the um, much about um, the man in black's wife. Um, oh, yeah, that was really good, too. Yeah. yeah, like I really loved how they handled that whole thing with his family because, you know, the, the critical moment, you know, where she decides to kill herself is because she receives a, like, you know, future version of, like, what what we might call a disc, um, explaining who he was in the park and the, the, the sides of himself that came out in the park. And imagine how horrifying that would be. You know, you spend decades married to somebody, and, you know, he is a philanthropist uh, in public, and he has this very public face of, you know, being this wonderful person. And... You know, that's also who he works to be in, in his family to, to, to some extent. Um, and then you find out that, you know, for decades, this person has had this horrible dark side, you know, this, this, uh, psychopathic traits, uh, you know, and, and how that would have felt. And I thought that was all really handled, uh, very well. Um, as well as, you know, the fact that this, you know, disc or whatever ends up, you know, with, uh, his daughter and that, that, you know, it was sort of that missing piece for her and trying to understand what, um, what her mother did. Um, so I thought all of that was really, really great. And I think that that, you know, that story, Sizemore's character, Maeve's story, you know, it, it isn't that I'm, I'm, I'm not viewing Westworld so much, uh, you know, with as critical of an eye so much as that I love the character development, um, in these stories so much more than the other concerns that I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, they, they dwarf uh, those interests to me. So, you know, that was another another part of the of the characters that I really appreciate that they went into that. Yeah. So to extend my Internet metaphor, she kind of like gets handed a copy of his complete browser history. Yeah. <laughs> by oh, God, what a nightmare. <laughs> um, all right. Cool. So how about uh, Anthony? Final thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I would, I guess I'd just repeat something that John said at the very beginning, which is that this is a show I really enjoy and also find incredibly frustrating, but <laughs> the parts that I enjoy, um, are enough that I'm definitely excited about season three. Uh, one thing I do hope that they, they do more of is, um, more of those, like, standalone episodes, like, given the mm-hmm. fact that that episode with the uh, Ghost Nations character, like, did so, you know, seems to be so well received, hopefully you'll get a, you know, a couple of those next season, and, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Any any time you can make something more of an anthology show, uh, always a good <laughs> yeah. idea, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, John, final thought? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would just reiterate, uh, you know, um, what I said at the start, like in what Anthony was just saying. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, as much as we complained about it on this episode, um, I mean, it's nitpicking, but I mean, uh, I, I really love the show. If I, if I wasn't so invested in the show, I wouldn't spend all this time thinking about it. I just would be like, oh, that's garbage. I'm not going to watch it. It's stupid. <laughs> you know, but, but it, it's like, I, I'm undeniably hooked. I mean, I, I, I'm really looking forward to every episode. And, uh, even if I have a lot of, uh, issues with different things. And, um, I mean, I think it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting show to talk about. Um, and, uh, like I said, I mean, Battlestar Galactica was one of my favorite shows of all time up until the, like the final episodes. And so it's like, um, to have a show that can, uh, fire my, um, you know, sort of fire my brain up and, and to start trying to figure out all these different theories and everything, uh, like this, uh, it's been a real joy to have in my, uh, have again. Cause I, I can't, I don't think I really had one, uh, anything like that since Battlestar. So, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And I just thought I, I wanted to mention, someone mentioned how great the cinematography in, is in this that we haven't really talked about. But just, man, any show where you can have a, a guy with a machine gun facing off against a charging half-robot buffalo against the best <laughs> red background, like, you know, yeah. you, yeah, awesome. you got to love that. <laughs> Um, all right, yeah, but so let's uh, so let's wrap this up. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Anthony Ha. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to be here. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Anthony Ha for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to El Commutador, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for today's show, Casper. Remember that you can save up to $225 off your order by visiting casper.com slash savings. Offer expires July 9th. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.